Wisdom from Heaven for uh, Life on Earth, Practical Studies from Proverbs. This is, well, it's our 11th week in the book of Proverbs. We'll, we'll uh, keep going a little bit into January and, and wrap up. So there's January, is it 3? January 3, 10, 17, 23, something like that. And, we'll, and then we'll, be, we'll wrap up and we'll start another series, another Sunday night series. We, uh, of course, last Sunday night we had our, our Christmas music uh, night and it was just great. So we were away from it. But the week before that, we had started a study that I said we would, we would be in for two weeks. Now, I know it's been two weeks. So I'll do a teeny bit of a review called The Good Life Begins in the Heart. And I wanted to continue with that. There aren't many uh, subjects dealt with as repeatedly in the book of Proverbs as this subject of the heart. Maybe uh, the fool gets talked about a great deal in the book of Proverbs. Pride and humility get talked about a great deal in the book of Proverbs. I want to look at that again maybe next week. But the heart would be right up there in terms of top of the list, in terms of a repeated emphasis and a number of different things said about the heart. Of course, it's not talking about the organ that pumps the blood. And it's not even just talking about your feelings or your emotions. It's talking about the inward... The, the Hebrew concept is, is more the, the inward control center, who you really are. So you see this part of me, the outward part of me. But there's, a, there's an inside me. There's an inside you. Soul, heart, uh, all sorts of words that are used almost synonymously in the scriptures. It's very hard. I know some theologies try and make a distinction between soul and spirit, and, and there's whole books written on it. And if that's where you're coming from and that's your belief, that's fine. I'm saying I doubt very much that an absolute case can be made that these are all talking about separate entities inside your skin. The heart is, is the you that's left if you just take away flesh and blood. The part that makes you tick inside. Maybe just a teeny bit of a review, some of the things we looked at. Here's what we studied two weeks ago. I know you probably have all these points memorized, but we'll go over them just, just really, really quick. First, A, if you concentrate on being right in your heart, you will automatically be right in the rest of your life. And we got that from Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. And that phrase, flow the springs of life. The, the, the key idea here is the quality of life is determined from the inside out, not the outside in. There's, there's the source of life on the inside. You, you really can't do enough to the outside of your life. And I mean the outside of you physically, but just the material side of life. You really can't do enough. This is the myth that you can do enough to, to um, promote the comfort and the prosperity on the outside of your life, that you can create a better life on the inside, and you really can't. There's this picture. Keep your heart, for from it flow the springs of, 
of life. And there's this picture of a spring or a fountain. It fits so nicely in with this. The water you drink from the tap, its quality isn't determined at the faucet where you turn it on and off. Its quality is determined at the source. Okay? That's, that's the kind of picture that's being dealt with here. You can buy the greatest faucet in the world if you turn on the tap, but if it's coming from the sewer, if the source isn't right, whatever fancy tap you have in the greatest kitchen in the world doesn't fix the water. The spring, the heart is the source. Life flows from the inside out. We all know that, but here's the deal. You and I live in a world that 24-7 constantly trains us to live life externally rather than internally. It trains us to live life externally rather than internally. Even, and I'm not just talking now about bad people. I'm not just talking about people that, that you know, um, uh, go on pornographic internet sites and are engaged in wicked things. Even, even in the pursuit of spirituality, even spirituality can, can be generated from outward appearance. Do you remember the Pharisees and all of the squabbles Jesus had with the Pharisees? And he would, he would say things to them like, now remember, these are the religious people. These weren't bad people. And he would say to them, you know what you're like? Super seeker-sensitive Jesus. You know what you're like? You're like a tomb that some wealthy person keeps whitewashed and painted on the outside, but if you ever rolled the stone away and opened everything up, it stinks and it's full of dead men's bones. Jesus said that. He said, you know what you're like? He said, you're like a dish. You're like a dish and you got a dishwasher, but all the dishwasher washes is the outside of the dish and the inside never gets touched. Can you imagine someone comes to your house? Christmas dinner, there's the family all gathered around the table and you put out your lovely, expensive china and when they look inside, it's got fungus and all sorts of little animals crawling around and it's dirty and grungy. And so Jesus comes to these people who are passionate about keeping all sorts of regulations for the appearance Remember he said, oh, they love to pray on the street corners to be seen of men. And he said, you guys, are like, you guys are like dishes that everybody cleans on the outside and nobody touches the inside. And make no mistake about it. Jesus is dealing with something that isn't all that far from any of us. The tendency to crave something on the outside of life, the appearance, the reputation, even in the church, that isn't genuine and authentic deep down inside. Doesn't happen very often, but once in a while. Just once in a while, and it's none of my business, but somebody will come up and say, you know, you see so-and-so in church, and I see them at work, and let me tell you, they're just two different people. That's what Jesus is talking about. It has to flow from the heart. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, this, this is where life comes from. Have an authentic root to your faith 
It can't be inherited. It can't just be mimicked from other people. It can't just be a number of words that we say. Keep your heart. Keep your heart when you're alone. Keep your heart when you're with God's people. Keep your heart when you're away from God's people. Keep your heart when you're out of the country. Keep your heart when you're out on a date. Keep your heart when you're at university. Keep your heart everywhere you go. Why? Because that's where the rest of your life comes from. Do you want to be genuine? Do you want to be authentic? Do you want to be real? Do you want to be the kind of person who can live with himself or herself? Or do you want to know that you're a phony? That's what Jesus is talking about. Fundamentally, your life can't possibly be any purer than it is at its source. And so the wise person will always focus, the wise person will not let outward pressure affect the condition of the heart that he's trying to develop. Your life isn't made and created just by your friends or by your education or by your wealth, not even by your physical well-being. You can't create a good life from the outside in Quality of life flows from the inside out. Keep your heart, conscience, the Holy Spirit. And getting into this next point that we looked at two weeks ago, involved in the keeping of the heart. The law of God heeded, the word heeded should have been in there, and that's my mistake. These are just, they're my notes. The law of God heeded is what sets the heart in good working order. The law of God heeded. We got that from Proverbs 4, 20, 21, 22. My son, be attentive to my words. And then this is the phrase I like. Incline, incline your ear to my sayings. So now, talking about these sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Isn't it interesting? This morning we had these, these uh, dedication of little ones, sometimes babies, sometimes little ones. And I always read that text. Uh, bind them on your hands. Let them be as frontlets before your eyes. This is the same thing. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. But do you see that word? My son, be attentive to my words. Incline. It's, it's talking about how you, you train the natural slope of your life so it's going to go in that direction. It'll go in that direction whether you're in Bible study or at work or in class, whoever you're with, your heart, will, your heart will roll in that direction because you've trained it in the direction of God's word so it won't feel comfortable going in any other direction. That's what incline does. We spend a lot of money doing our parking lot and right out uh, there is where we had all sorts of problems. We had a big drain and just through the... the passing of time and use and everything else, everything didn't slope toward the drain the way it's supposed to. And so you get puddles and then the stuff rots and it breaks up. Everything depends on the slope. Incline your heart. Which way? So everything flows to my word. Everything in your life just drains in the direction of God's words. So, so whether it's sports or entertainment or leisure or Bible study or friends or your marriage or your work, where does it all go? Well, it all just slopes in the direction of God's laws, God's ways. That's, that's 
the way my life runs. You train it that way. You train it that way. Those words aren't addressed to a person who has no exposure to God's word. Be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. They're addressed to a person who, who much like you and much like me, much like I, knows that there's a great deal of content in God's word that you can know, you can even respect, but people who hear God's word a great deal, if they aren't careful, there's a great danger of repeatedly hearing the word lightly because we assume we already know what it says. I, I read a lot of books, and uh, if you ever went into my library, you'll know why my car isn't paid for And I'm finding lots of times I'll read something and start at the top of the page. And I try and stop myself from doing it because it's a bad habit. I read at the top of the page and start reading. And especially if it's an author I know, I assume I already know what that page is about. And I read it very quickly. And it's, it's, it's because I've read that person before and I've read a lot of their books before. And I, and I can pretty much anticipate where this is going and then if I'll make myself stop and read it again very slowly, almost always there's something in there that I didn't know before or something that I didn't think about enough. But when you hear something a great deal, it is easy to listen to it lightly. My sayings, let them not escape from your sight. Don't let these things get away from you. Keep them within your heart. How important are they? Well, they're life. They're life. The person who has the great danger of repeatedly hearing the word lightly is the person who expects they know what's coming. Do you remember when Jesus talked about the parable of the soils and he, and he talked about this wayside soil? Depending on your translation, some really contemporary translations will even talk about the path, stuff that lands on the path. The wayside is, is, is the place where there's been a lot of traffic. And the problem with that is it's still not bad soil. There's nothing wrong with the soil except that it gets packed down very hard. And when that happens, of course... Nothing wrong with the seed either. Nothing wrong with the soil. Nothing wrong with the seed. But the seed just lands on the top. And because that has had a lot of traffic going back and forth on it over and over and over and over, it actually someone needs to go in there with a spade and start turning all that stuff over, working it up, a rototiller. And then the seed won't just sit on the surface, it'll get down inside. But that's what it's like when, when hearing the word over and over again on a certain subject until the spot in your heart where that word might have germinated just through preconceived understanding just gets hard. Almost impenetrable. That's why... The call here is keep them, that's these sayings, these words, keep them in the middle of your heart. So, so 
the idea there is God's word is true, it's effective, it can reach the heart and perform a miracle in the heart, but it, it will be ineffective at the edges of your life. It has to be a priority. A big chunk of it has to do with thinking about the word enough to, to memorize parts of it so that they have a life in your mind. A big part of it is reading slowly enough that when it starts to speak to you, you stop and get a pen and paper if you're old school like I am or, or your iPad or whatever word processor you, and you start to jot things down so you won't forget them, you'll remember them. And you fold it up, you put it in your pocket. You take it out at lunch at work. Oh, yeah, that's what that's about. Keep these things in the middle of your heart. The law of God heeded sets the heart in good working order. By the way, we're still on the review part. The third thing we talked about, for the word of God to rule the heart, it must be practiced with great discipline. I've already touched on it. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Notice, ears gather information. Discipline transforms the heart. The psalmist talked about the same thing. Psalm 119.45. I shall walk in a wide place for I have sought your precepts. Only, only doing the word verifies the power of the word okay only doing the word verifies the power of the word and here's why here's why there's an uphill battle here for all of us obedience only looks like drudgery when you're looking at it from the vantage point of disobedience in other words, when there's an area of my life that isn't yielded to the Lord, an area where I'm not following him closely and Through his word, it speaks and corrects, brings reproof and direction to my heart. That that step of obedience will always look like drudgery until I start to walk in it. And then here's what you find out. Once you start following the Lord in whatever area he is speaking to you about, once you start obeying him, what you discover is, you know what? This was the joyful way all along. But you don't see that when you're looking at it from the outside. Spiritual truth looked at from the outside. And of course, the devil delights in this, in this deception. Spiritual truth, any truth looked at from the outside, always looks like drudgery because you have to practice it to find the power and joy and freedom in it. It's, it's like plugging your life in and finding out there is electricity there. All right, for tonight. And there's not a lot. Don't panic. I'm thinking just a couple quick points. The heart. We're still talking about the heart. Life lived from the inside out. God measures us not by the outward appearance, but by the condition of the heart. And the classic passage, of course, while it's talked about in Proverbs, keep your heart with all diligence, but the classic passage isn't from Proverbs at all. It's from 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Samuel's picking a king, right? Who's it going to be? And all these sons come marching before him, and Samuel thinks he can tell right off the bat, the tall, the strong, the powerful, the prominent. Surely this has to be the one. None of them. The Lord said to Samuel, 
Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because that's what Hollywood does. Oh, no, wait. Because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. I'm talking about keeping your heart with all diligence. When God looks at me and when God looks at you, what he sees is one big heart and what spiritual condition it is in. It's not just a point of theological information about God that he knows what's in our hearts. The writer is not trying to tell us that God is just smarter than we are, but we are being cautioned against being preoccupied with the outward appearance and attractions of our lives. If we aren't very careful, we will care more about what people think about the outward part of our lives than what God thinks about the inward part of our lives. I've used the illustration so many times. I read it in a book, and it just seemed to work so well for me. Say, I don't think we do that. If we aren't very careful, we will care more about what people think about the outward appearance of our lives than what God thinks about the inward part of our lives. And I read this, uh, I can't remember the book, but he talked about himself. He talked about himself and his addiction to pornography. And he talked about sitting at his computer and he's on a website that he shouldn't be on. And he's mentally locked into this. And then he hears his wife coming up the stairs. Okay? And he instantly shuts it down, gets off the site, so she won't know about it. Now, here's my question. And it's the question this author asked. It's excellent. Is that not a classic example? He cares very much that his wife not see him doing that, but he would sit there the whole time, not bothered that the Holy Spirit would see him doing that. Isn't that a great illustration, though? That's, 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 that's how you keep your heart you, you, you have to somehow remember that God sees the heart all the time and that one of the great hindrances to a godly life is caring more about what people think than what God thinks. And we all tend toward that. Caring more about what people think than what God, who always sees everything about us, than what he thinks. This, of course, is exactly what Jesus was getting at. He's talking about the heart when he talks to these people in John 5, 44, and he says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? Where does unbelief come from? It doesn't begin in the intellect. It starts with pride. It starts with the desire to be esteemed by someone, to be loved by someone, to be praised by those around us. We want, we crave glory from other people. And the fastest way to receive glory in this fallen world is to focus on the right fashion, the right group of friends, the right entertainment, the right clothes, the right image. And Jesus said when people care more about the visible part than the internal part, and we all tend toward that, 
says genuine faith gets extinguished. It gets strangled. Two, for our own good, God tries and searches and refines our hearts. Proverbs 17, 3, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests the hearts. And we're made to think the way God searches and tests the heart is somehow related then to a furnace and the melting down of gold. Probably one of the best known passages in the Bible when we think about God searching our hearts is Psalm 139, 23, 24. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. I think we used to sing a chorus. Search me, O God, and know my heart, I pray. Nobody sings it anymore. That's when choruses were really short and really easy to memorize. Because God values the heart, he searches it. And I think it's important for Christians to know how God does this so they won't misinterpret the circumstances of life. So here's a guy praying. Psalm 139, he's in his devotions, he's by his bed. And we'll probably wrap up with this. There's other stuff that you can take the notes. He's praying and he thinks, this this is good. Think what Pastor Don said last Sunday night. I, I think that might even be true. And the heart really is important. God, I don't want to live a phony life. Come and search my heart. Search my heart. See if there be a wicked way in me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And then off he goes, and he goes to work. And, and, uh, and he finds that uh, just one problem after another. Everything's going wrong. And uh, he, he didn't get the raise he thought he was going to get. And he's taken out of his office and put in a little cubicle. And somebody took his parking spot. And it's just all going downhill. And he, and he gets angry. Maybe he comes home that night and he kneels by his bed and he says, this doesn't work at all. God, what in the world? This morning I even prayed that you just, I want to be like you. Search my heart. And God says, I did. I wanted to show you I wanted to show you how proud you were and how short-tempered you were and I orchestrated about 11 different things that would reveal what a temper you have. Only you never realized when all these things were going on what I was doing was searching your heart. I don't need to know what's in your heart. I already know what's in there. What I'm trying to do is show you what's in your heart. And what I showed you was there's a lot of greed in there. There's a lot of pride in position. There's a lot of anger when you're mistreated. If you come to this church regularly, you're going to find there's people in this church and God's going to use them regularly to search your heart. Yeah. And if you understand the process, what it's designed to do is, it's designed to show you that there's all sorts of areas in there that need a lot of work, only you didn't see it. Because you just thought these were random circumstances happening. You didn't see them as answers to your prayer that God would expose things in your life that aren't worth keeping. The last point I was going to make was 
God's work in the heart is a, is a creative thing. David prays, Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart. And, and he chooses that word very carefully. When you think of creation, what part of the Bible do you think of? Yeah, of course, opening chapters of Genesis. In fact, we squabble and fight over how long the days were and how many years ago and all that stuff. The real lesson, by the way, is God has the capacity to take... So here we are, and we're reading about this, about the heart, God searching our heart, and our tendency to focus on externals rather than internals, and, 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 and the need to have a clean heart created. And if you're like me, whenever God speaks to you about this, you, 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 you feel kind of like, God, I, just, I don't have much here to work with. And it's one of the most positive thoughts in the whole world that you bring God your heart such as it is. And he doesn't just kind of, it's not just some little therapy thing that he does. That there's no life so hopeless, no situation so condemning that God can't come and actually create. Like he formed the world out of nothing. And he can create a cleaner heart in you and in me than we would ever imagine. Because he's a creator. I don't think we, well, I should stop. I don't think we even imagine the weight of guilt that David finally felt. I think any Christian who commits adultery would feel guilty. But David, who, who wrote all these psalms for the worship of the church, who was anointed at God's command as king, And this David commits adultery. And we read those psalms very quickly, and I'll tell you, I'll bet you he felt like life was absolutely over. And he has no hope at all except to say, God, come and create a clean heart within me. This is the marvel of the gospel, is it not? This is the marvel of the gospel. You can hold up the standard about the heart and everything we've said, and all it does is it shows areas where we need attention and work and discipline, and, and all that's good. I've been talking about it. But in the end, you come and you say, how can I know this can work? Is, is you bring your heart to the creator, brand new, a clean heart. And all God's people with a teeny weeny bit of dirt still left in your heart said yeah 